They were after money. They were after advice. They wanted the NRA and other Gudlomi groups to come in and support them and support them in ways that were very troubling to the people of Australia. That's Al Jazeera executive producer Peter Charlie talking about his explosive two-part documentary film, How to Sell a Massacre. This is an Al Jazeera Investigates Extra. I'm your host, Kevin Hurton. So in these extra episodes, we try to update and unpack our biggest stories through the eyes of the people who produced them. And of all the stories by Al Jazeera's investigative unit, perhaps none have matched the ambition and immediate reaction of this one. Now to my favourite story of the week. The undercover sting by Al Jazeera. standing by to take you live to Brisbane, where Pauline Hansen is about to speak to the media Television about network Al Jazeera followed a gun lobby. storm over the gun lobbying sting continues to end. Al Jazeera documentary. I think this is a good example of what sets us apart as an investigative unit. We really play the long game, and you can see it here. For three years, Al Jazeera has been investigating the pro-gun lobby. Nice to meet you, too. A man named Roger Muller starts a gun rights organization in Australia. Hey, guys. Roger Muller here from Gun Rights Australia. He starts attending pro-gun events in the U.S. Here in Louisville, Kentucky, at the NRA annual meeting, I'm very pleased to have with us Roger Muller, who is here all the way from... Sydney, Australia. My goodness gracious. He builds up a social media presence. In the meantime, keep following us on all our social media. He builds up a network of contacts. We don't have our rights as gun owners. Then, in the fall of 2018, Roger Muller makes a contact that would blow this story wide open. A right-wing Australian political party was seeking advice on how to loosen the country's famously tight gun laws. They accompanied Roger Muller to meet with the NRA in Washington, D.C. Here's what they didn't know. Roger Muller isn't who he claims to be. He's working undercover for me, Peter Charlie. Mate, very interesting. I'm a reporter from Al Jazeera's investigative unit. We created Gun Rights Australia as a front. And it's not just a documentary anymore. Peter Charlie has just written a book, also called How to Sell a Massacre. And check out this subtitle. One Nation, the U.S. Gun Lobby, and $20 million inside journalism's most audacious sting. Wow. Peter, welcome. Hi, how are you? Oh, not so bad. Peter, how about we start with a little detail on One Nation? I doubt most of our listeners outside of Australia have heard of them. One Nation is a a right-wing Australian political party led by a a very divisive politician named Pauline Hanson, who uh, came to fame in Australia years ago when she uh, famously stood up with her maiden speech in Parliament saying that Australia is being swapped by Asians. They have their own culture and religion, form ghettos and do not assimilate. So she really got off to a a bad start, if you like, with a racist reputation and has had a lot of enemies and and many supporters too. She's a very divisive politician. And so there are two main characters from One Nation that joined Roger Muller to come to Washington, D.C. Steve Dixon was at the time One Nation's Senate candidate for upcoming elections in Australia, federal elections. And he also led the One Nation Party in the state of Queensland in Australia. It's about putting people before politics and I think we're going to be very successful. I don't know the number of seats we're going to win, but I think we're going to go okay. James Ashby is Pauline Hanson's chief of staff. 
They both came to Washington hoping to secure money for an upcoming election. They were looking for political donations, although they've vehemently denied that since. They were also looking for advice from the NRA, specifically on how to manage the fallout from gun massacres. That was part of a series of discussions they had in Washington with NRA members and and other members of the gun lobby. They were looking for advice on how to engage with the grassroots political support base, how to manage communications with their base. And in the course of those discussions, a number of pearls of wisdom, if you like, were dropped by NRA media managers and PR types. I think amongst the most contentious of them was suggestions for how one nation could manage public fallout if there is another massacre in Australia. Yeah, it's one of the unforgettable moments in the film, when Roger and One Nation quite literally learn how to sell a massacre. Lars Dalside is one of the NRA's senior media liaison officers. If another mass shooting happens in Australia, he advises One Nation to smear supporters of gun control by accusing them of exploiting the tragedy. How dare you stand on the graves of those children to put forth your political agenda? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You shame them to the whole idea. I love that. If your policy isn't good enough to stand on its own, how dare you use their deaths to push that forward? Mm. Mm. It really was a reflection of how the NRA handles criticism when there's a mass killing in America, and it was actually very instructive listening to it and hearing what they were saying, giving very specific, clear, I think very chilling advice to One Nation about how to engage with the public and how to hose down criticism and how to ramp up the idea that more guns are good, that more guns are necessary. It's particularly abhorrent for people in Australia who, by and large, hate guns ever since a massacre in Australia led to very rigid uh, anti-gun laws there. The death toll continues to rise at Port Arthur, where a gunman today went on a random shooting spree. The nightmare unfolded around half past Police two this afternoon. Police say the shooting began in a cafe by a car park at the former penal settlement. Shot by a crazed gunman. Stormed around the area unchallenged, picking his victims indiscriminately. So this mass shooting happened in 1996 in the southern Australian state of Tasmania. The national outpouring of grief was amazing. It led to immediate action on guns. And I think the film does a good job showing why. There's an incredibly powerful interview with a woman named Carol Lawton. She survived the attack but lost her daughter. He walked past myself and my daughter. I'm on the floor. He shoots me in the back. And he shot my daughter in the back of the head. And I could see his feet walk past me. With every shot that's fired, there's another life gone. And there's another life gone. The Port Arthur event is etched into the minds of anyone who was alive at that time. It was a pivotal event to establish safe gun laws for Australia. They hate the idea of an American-style gun-loving environment. So One Nation's visit to the most powerful gun lobby group in America really freaked Australia out. One of the other things that freaked Australia out, and we'll get to the sort of the reaction in a second, but it was the idea that American money would come into the Australian political system. That's right. I mean, their visit to America occurred in the months leading up to a key political 
event, the federal election in Australia, it was going to determine whether or not One Nation gained any more seats in Parliament. One Nation was very open about its desire to gain control of Parliament, to have enough seats in Parliament to actually be able to manipulate legislation that went through. If they held the balance of power in Parliament, they'd be in a position to deny certain legislative moves and to sort of steer the legislative agenda. So they were very much angling for that sort of uh, political purchase. And for that, they needed money. And when they came to America looking for money, they made it very clear in all the meetings they had that they needed the balance of power. And if they got the balance of power, one of the things they would be looking at was Australia's gun laws, the cherished anti-gun laws that most Australians not only are grateful for, but feel very proud of. So it was absolutely horrifying to the majority of Australians to think that those laws were even up for consideration as something that might change, let alone by a political party that's renowned for its alleged racist inclinations. Take me back to March of 2019 and the day this story dropped. It was extraordinary, especially in Australia. Caught red-handed, One Nation secret deal with America's powerful gun lobby. One Nation lobby. has been caught trying to trade Australia's tough gun laws for cash. Yeah. Busted! And it gets worse. It was a huge day that day. The story went out on uh, March 26. News of what had been said in our secret recordings was leaking out early in the day. The ABC, Australia's public broadcaster, had a copy of the documentary. They were preparing to broadcast it that evening. And snippets of what had been said and what was going to come out in that documentary were emerging throughout the day. It caused an enormous avalanche of comment from the public, from politicians. We have wonderfully strong gun laws and, and for heaven's sake, don't sell them out. How dare they seek to trade those for money and votes from a foreign buyer? Ultimately from One Nation itself. Having been stung, One Nation is now claiming to be the victim of a James Bond-style plot. They held a press conference and they made some claims. I'd like you to tell me about what they said in that first press conference. And then I guess they didn't realize that there was another part that was about to come out because I believe they were a bit undercut by that second part, weren't they? Well, the first thing they said was, yes, they had said what they'd been captured saying on hidden camera. Yes, those words were uttered by them, but they were drunk when they said them. We'd arrived in America, we'd got on the source, we'd had a few drinks. You know, it's a defence uh, often given by people who are caught out. I was drunk. It's a common and kind of feeble excuse offered when there's really no other way out. When I finish work, and I hope you'd never drink when you finish work, but we all do. I'm going to put my hand on my heart. I, I have drunk and I should have that right, as you should have that right. But the reality is they had a few drinks. They weren't rolling drunk or sort of blind drunk where they couldn't remember what they said. But the many meetings they had in the mornings and during the day, there was no alcohol consumed at all. And uh, uh, the message was still the same in those meetings. They were after money. They were after advice. They wanted the NRA and other Gudlomi groups to come in and support them and support them in ways that were very troubling to the people of Australia. How did One Nation fare at the polls? Well, they, they didn't do as well as they thought they would do. They lost a seat and they gained a seat. They didn't win the multiple seats that they thought they were going to win. The documentary presented a blow to them. We didn't set out to do that. That wasn't the purpose of the documentary. The purpose of the documentary was always to get into the NRA and find out what they were thinking and saying when mass shootings took place. One Nation came into our view very late in the day. 
but it was just such an interesting development that One Nation was so keen to connect with the NRA that we really felt we had to pursue it. One of the defenses that I recall them using was release the tapes. We would like Al Jazeera to release all the footage. You know, release more of the information that will exonerate us. It was about a month later when more information from the tapes did surface. It's the striptease that will stop a nation and shred this married politician's credibility. This is something that we uh, debated quite vigorously in the lead up to the, the release of our film, was whether or not to include in it very damaging video that our undercover guy Roger Muller had filmed with Steve Dixon when Dixon wanted to go to a strip club in Washington. Al Jazeera did not broadcast this footage, but Australia's Channel 9 program, A Current Affair, they did. The secret video shows the happily married politician groping dancers and asking them to come home with him. It's a bad look and very bad judgment from a man who campaigns and Dixon on prompted, values. urged Roger Muller to take him to a club several times that day and that evening. Muller called me that night and said, Steve Dixon wants to go to a strip club. What do you think I should do? And I said, well, take him to a strip club. Just make sure your cameras are rolling. The resulting vision of that was just appalling. This is uncomfortable to watch, but we've blurred the worst vision and bleeped the worst language. It was really damning. We decided in the end that it would be a distraction to put it in our film because uh, our film was really all about a political party trying to gain a political advantage with the use of gun lobby money. Dixon was uh, filmed groping strippers, speaking you know, very crude terms about uh, wanting to have sex with them. Not just any senator, one that really had been campaigning on family values. Family values and Christian values. He repeatedly said on his trip in Washington, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. And the other thing that sat very uncomfortably with this video is that Dixon often talked about the need of women to have guns to protect themselves. He was putting himself out there as a bloke who was looking out for the welfare of women. He gets into a strip club and uh, the first thing he does is start poking dollar notes into the gusset of a, uh, a woman's uh, underwear. And it was that video, not the video of Dixon trying to solicit money and talking about uh, softening Australia's uh, gun laws. It was the video of him groping women in the strip club that led to him having to resign from One Nation. I have always spoken very highly of Steve Dixon, but the footage I saw last night cannot be ignored or condoned. I wouldn't tolerate my own children behaving this way towards women, and I cannot and will not condone my own candidates dealing with women in this fashion either. This story had a huge Huge impact in Australia, a huge impact around the world, frankly. I mean, there were hundreds of articles written about this. Interestingly, not that big of an impact in the United States. And I was re-watching the documentary, and I was watching the scene where the NRA talks about their media strategy when something happens that they don't like. Do you find it interesting that maybe those same tactics about how the NRA just ignoring this story actually may have worked to their advantage? Yeah, I think it did in some respects. They were very specific in spelling out to One Nation strategies for how to deflect media criticism. There were two key strategies they suggested. One is to be highly aggressive. Offense, offense, offense is the way they put it. Offense, offense, offense. And that is an effective communication strategy. Um, and that's what the NRA does very well. But the preferred position they adopted is just to be completely quiet, to dead bat 
as we would say in Australia, where you just let the ball go boom and you do not whack it. Talking about cricket here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dot ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just let the ball die on the, on the pitch. You yeah. dead bat it. So you don't engage with it. You just let it die. And this is something they spelled out very clearly to One Nation. You just don't comment. If it's a bad story, like if a, a child gets hurt or shot with mm-hmm. a gun, they want to call the NRA first. Well, why are you calling us? What do we have to do with this? That was not the only thing. I mean, they had some very somewhat disturbing or at least cold advice for them about how to react, how to either be silent, how to start talking about your own protection. And there were things that would be of interest to an American audience, but it didn't seem to um, to break through. There was some coverage here, as covered in some of the major metropolitan dailies. New York Times wrote numerous articles, the Washington Post, NPR carried stories on it. It didn't really catch on here, and I think partly because the NRA just followed its own sage advice and dead-batted the story. Dead-batted. dead-batted it and let it die on the pitch. In the process of going back and reviewing everything with some distance, is there anything that has surprised you? What did surprise me was how One Nation ran so hard at the prospect of foreign money. They ran really hard at that, and, and it, was, uh, it was something they made no secret of to Roger. They were hoping for as much as $20 million. Australians, when they heard that, you know, they just couldn't believe it. That's so much money for a political party to be soliciting uh, from overseas as laws were about to change. And it was very well known in Australia that laws were being debated in Parliament that would ultimately outlaw foreign funding of Australian political parties. So as that window was closing, One Nation was in Washington working as hard as they could to to get money. What about Roger Mueller? He was a longtime acquaintance of yours. I know that. But I think what Bob Garfield, when you were on On the Media, he said he was like Serpico. But he was. He was undercover for three years. Yeah. Are you getting a sense going back through your notes about the toll and and just the incredible sacrifice that he made to do that? Yeah, it was a huge sacrifice and and not one that any of us realized would go on for that long. Uh, When I engaged him for it, I said, you know, I'd like you to go undercover uh, to wear a a hidden camera or carry a series of hidden cameras and effectively pretend to be someone you're not. Are you okay with that? And he said, yeah, sounds great. But I wasn't able to say to him, you know, this could go on for three years or more. So I had huge respect for, and still do, for his skills and his loyalty in uh, carrying out this very complex, increasingly complex task as time went on. He's a tough nut, Rog. You know, I mean, he's, he's been a mate of mine for more than 20 years, uh, about you know, 25 years, uh, which is why I chose him in the first place. He'd been copying it from both sides, because when he adopted this pro-gun approach, this pro-gun persona, Australians who knew him said, are you crazy? You want guns? And that led to a lot of criticism and some physical violence. He got punched in the face at a Christmas party a couple of years ago. Someone just walked in and whacked him and said, how dare you try to bring guns into Australia? Someone else spat at him. So he was copying all this abuse and taking it. Now he was about to flip again. And the people who hated him would be astonished and think, my God, you're a hero. And those, of course, who liked him would have the opposite view. So not surprising that he, he was going through some, some mental preparation for what was going to be quite, a, quite an unusual and, and bizarre revolution yet again in his life. 
I mean, it won some awards. It won the Walkley Award. It won the, the Walkley Award, which is Australia's version of the Pulitzer's for Scoop of the Year. It won uh, Best Investigative Report in, uh, in the Kennedy Award, uh, the biggest award ceremony in, in the uh, city of Sydney. It's been uh, widely recognised in Australia as a major story that broke open this scandal and led to significant changes, not the least of which was the resignation of the Senate candidate, Steve Dixon. Tell me about the book. Well, I was approached by HarperCollins uh, out of the blue about a couple of months after Hattersala Massacre went to air in Australia. Received an email from them, just headlined book, question mark, and they said, would you like to write about the making of this? Because, you know, it had such enormous impact in Australia. Tell us about how you came up with the idea of setting up this fake gun rights organisation, how you chose Roger Muller, what you did, how you deflected criticism, how you moved with the, the story as it developed this way and that way. The book is How to Sell a Massacre, One Nation, the NRA, and $20 million, Inside Journalism's Most Audacious Sting. This story was pretty all-consuming for us for a long time, and the book really does a good job taking you behind the scenes, and it reads like a thriller, so I can't recommend it enough. Peter, thank you so much. Thanks. Pleasure. That is it for this Al Jazeera Investigates Extra. This show was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, and Peter Charlie. Editing help from Leo Safiyanis. Social media engagement by Hassan Romani. The show's executive producer is Joe DeFrias. Al Jazeera's head of audio is Graylin Brashear. And Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism is Phil Reese. See you next time.